You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve, and we have on the line with us back is Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University, and we've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while as we take a look at what is happening on the world stage as the war between Israel and Hamas continues, the war between Russia and Ukraine continues, the alliance between Russia and China, and now Tehran continues to deepen, and we're seeing China keeping its eye on Taiwan, and we hear that the U.S is arming Taiwan, and there are all kinds of um, all kinds of moving parts in what's happening out there. So we want to try to make some sense out of it. Dr. Dewar, good morning. Good morning. Well, Dr. Dewar, there is great potential as we continue on. You know, we are just now in the second month of this uh, conflict between uh, Gaza and Israel. Israel, we are always seemingly on the cusp of something occurring between China and Taiwan, as as Kelly just re- referred to. We're now just approaching the two-year anniversary in about two and a half months of Russia entering into Ukraine. And now, of course, the expansion, or not really necessarily the expansion, but the our eyes are being drawn to this Tehran terror network that is all around the world. There seems to be grave potential that the U.S. can be drawn into any one of these conflicts at any given time. How tumultuous is our world stage when it comes to foreign affairs right now and the United States really being in the periphery of all of these and I won't even say periphery I mean we are we are connected to each one of these things so what is that what does that really stand to to mean for us in the United States it's an incre- increasingly dangerous time and in a way we've uh, despite what's in the media, we've been blessed in the last few decades because since the end of the Cold War in 1991, there's been you know, relatively little that can threaten a, a much more major conflict. There are obviously terrible days like 9-11 uh, or events like uh, genocide in Rwanda or the terrible war in Yugoslavia in the early 90s. But uh, in general, the, the world had been a lot more peaceful, and it is rolling back. You've mentioned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Hamas's heinous invasion of Israel, China and Taiwan have ongoing tensions, but there are numerous long-standing civil wars in the world in Yemen, Syria, Libya, Armenia and Azerbaijan have had conflict recently, and Ethiopia is saber-rattling over whether or not it can have access to the Red Sea again, and so there are all kinds of issues where the U.S. has a tie. At the same time, uh, you know, Jesus promised us in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 that nation would rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and uh, I still sense that it could get an awful lot worse uh, later on down the the line, Uh, but there's a lot to manage right now uh, and many causes for prayer. Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, Dr. Dewar, I want to to focus on, um, start out focusing on Israel and Hamas and, and what's happening there, because there are some things happening around the periphery of that also. Um, Israel is starting to, it, it, I'm not even sure where I want to start with it because of the things that are happening in the periphery of it, but uh, with this ongoing war, uh, what I'm curious about, and, and I would love to hear what you have to say about it, it, it is going on, it seems, much longer than, at least I thought it would. I, I thought that they would be able to 
dig into the tunnel system and, and deal with Hamas a little more quickly than they've been able to. And it's really uh, becoming quite a, a gruesome war, a, a, a gutted out kind of a thing. And we are seeing, uh, from what I'm reading in the news anyway, um, seeing things happening around the edges of this. Now it looks like the United States is getting some backlash um, where we have stood by Israel now, uh, insisting that that Israel take some pauses, humanitarian pauses. And um, it also looks like Israel is about to have to deal with Hezbollah. We talked about this the last time you were on the phone with us. Hezbollah uh, threatening Israel even more. It looks like from a news story that I just pulled up from Reuters has acquired uh, Russian anti-ship missiles. So now we've got Russia backing Hezbollah even more from that front. What What is what is coming into play here from the outer edges of this, this battle? Um, where do you see things going? Is, is Israel going to be victorious over Hamas is this this whole thing looks like it's just going to really erupt in a horrific mess my, my sense is that this is going to be messy for about six months I think it will quiet down ultimately because Israel is far more powerful and in the 20th century established itself as a as a powerful country able to push back numerous neighboring countries and and has eventually signed peace agreements uh with with hamas there's significant battlefield success already uh in gaza especially around gaza city although this is a very densely populated area and if it comes to occupying that territory that's a that's a different level of commitment than trying to have a a different government in place and so there's there are parts of this that really could go on a, a long time with Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, uh, there was a significant skirmish, uh, a war for about a month in 2006. But likewise, uh, Israel was much more powerful. And then we were also seeing missiles fired by, from the Houthi rebels in Yemen. Uh, that threatens a third front in all of this. Thankfully, Israel's managed to shoot down uh, all of those missiles. But um, you know, Yemen is a significant distance from Israel, and so other terrorist organizations are coming alongside Hamas, and it is making it uh, a very messy situation. Hezbollah, to go back to southern Lebanon, is armed to the teeth and has been doing so for years. They have a reported 150,000 rockets and missiles, and when I lectured about this to my students in class year over year, that number has just increased and then, as you noted in the question, the uh, diversity of sources for weaponry mm-hmm. is not just Iran anymore. It's Russia. It's arguably North Korea. There are a lot of different elements playing into this. There's tacit support from Turkey. Syria and Lebanon are very close. Both of those are heavily, heavily complicated, but there are uh, elements in there that are uh, connected to Iran and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. And so there are dangers of escalation here. But again, I go back to Israel being far more powerful than, than any of these uh, entities. And um, when Israel, in earnest, starts a campaign to defend itself, uh, that's usually when we see a very significant uh, humanitarian uh, crisis and then civilian death toll because these are people that really can't leave. They're forced to stay there mm-hmm. by these terrorist organizations, and it just leads to a terrible situation. But eventually they do capitulate because there's a pressure on them to 
and the and the conflict. Do you foresee the U.S. bowing to pressure to back off in its support of Israel? I was recently in a South Asian country, and I flew back through uh, Doha in Qatar. Uh, Qatar is a an interesting country, very energy rich, and it's become a hub of international negotiation. The U.S. and the Taliban, for example, were able to negotiate there. We're even seeing Israel and Hamas with some opening discussions. But uh, in Qatar, there is uh, Al Jazeera television network, and in the country, Al Jazeera is played almost nonstop. And while their reporting does have some nuance, uh, it's generally from journalists embedded within Gaza, and it is generally very, very one-sided. And so there's a massive amount of pressure on the Biden administration and the wider U.S. government to try and have some level of ceasefire, to push a ceasefire in all of this, uh, because of just the images that are going on to uh, Arabic-speaking television station um, uh, TVs across uh, the region that that just showing terrible scenes of babies being hit and uh, children, elderly, etc. Uh, not so much you know, telling the story of how Israel was brutally attacked and the hostages that are still uh, in place now, 40 days uh, from October the 7th, and so. There is a significant pressure on the U.S. and many other governments. Uh, Canada, France, for example, are both pushing heavily this idea of a ceasefire. And so we'll see how it all plays out. But I, my, my sense to go back to Prime Minister Netanyahu is until there are some hostages released, it just it seems like a non-starter to me. Um, you, know, you just need to get the people back to their families. Dr. Dewar, can we look at the organization of Hamas? This is a organization that is being funded primarily by Iran. We see that they divert civilian resources, uh, everything from fuel to construction items. Uh, they steal funding, money that is coming into the Palestinian people. They attack and control the Palestinian population, and they put citizens in harm way. But one of the things you just mentioned that is so key for us to understand about the underhandedness of this organization is how they manipulate the media and the propaganda you know, campaigns that they use. We've seen it effectively, as you said, on television that kind of obscures what is being done by them inside of Palestine, and it just is being made to look as though it is all Israel. But they have been able to now manipulate social media influence in other countries, and in particular in the United States on our college campuses, that there are you know groups who are, are actually sympathizers of Hamas, and they don't even understand who they are or what they are doing. Can you help us just understand with clarity exactly what Hamas is? Hamas has rightly been designated as a terrorist organization by the United States and many other governments, typically in the West. And they've had a long campaign, uh, and you've outlined a significant portion of it where monies have effectively been brought in from the international community and have landed in the uh, wallets of those in charge. Many are reportedly multi-billionaires and 
the GDP per capita in Gaza remains very, very low. And so it's deeply problematic. It is worth noting that Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza in 2005. Hamas did win an election, although uh, you know how free and fair it was is, is a point of contention. But that was in 2006, and they have not yet uh, put together another election. And so they have effectively become a dictatorship in that area. Now, they do provide... You know, medical and dental and social care for uh, parts of the population, but much of that money is, is skimmed heavily, heavily from the top. They also receive uh, a large-scale backing from Iran, as you noted. And while there is a much, much wider story that is complicated between Israelis and Palestinians and would require a very, very significant amount of time, um, it is uh, an issue that um, many, I think, especially younger people on college campuses in the United States and elsewhere have taken a widespread sympathy for the Palestinian cause. And there, is, there, there are components of that that are noteworthy and should be discussed, but they have failed to disentangle the brutality of Hamas from other Palestinian leaders. And Hamas has just remained absolutely brutal, has engaged in several wars against Israel where they have been the aggressor 2008, 2014, 2018. And in particular, this one, there was no reason for the provocation other than to derail uh, peace talks between Israel connecting Saudi Arabia to the Abraham Accords. And just such a brutal invasion where at least 1,200 people were killed and some close to 250 hostages taken as well and so there's been a failure to really disentangle the brutality of hamas and the wider palestinian cause of which there is a point of discussion israel is is not a perfect country i would argue very heavily that they're uh, democratic and uh, embrace the free market and they've done most things right but uh, certainly um a lot of people have not looked into just the, the terrible nature of Hamas and, and what they have mm -hmm. done in terms of aggressive behavior. Mm. Well, Dr. Dewar, I wanted to ask you, too, this morning, um, because these are these are players that are partly involved in the periphery around what's happening with Israel and Hamas, but also in their own right, looking at, um, um, you know, doing things elsewhere in the world, in particular, Russia and Ukraine. They are, they are still at war with each other. But what is happening with Russia, China, and Tehran? Because they seem to be uh, rather cozy uh, in the news lately, quite a bit happening, but... Um, not sure, you know, and, and as in my reading, exactly what is going on and, and what may be happening behind the scenes. Um, China seems to be setting its sights even more so on Taiwan. We know there's obviously been tension there for so many years. And I, I read a story again, this was out of Reuters, this was last week, that the United States was arming, quietly arming Taiwan to the teeth, expecting China to go after Taiwan every bit as much as Israel has been going after Hamas. And uh, I think I mentioned the last time that we spoke, Russia, um, Vladimir Putin, had met with uh, the, the uh, leader of China, um, uh, essentially endorsing his plan for what was quoted as, and I'm using my air quotes here, a new world order that they had uh, come up with and wanted to establish. 
And now Tehran is also jumping into the fray with, with the two of them. And they have essentially uh, said of the U.S. that because we were supporting Israel, that they consider us uh, enemy combatants and we should expect uh, terrorist attacks on our own land. And so here are the three of them in an alliance. W- what, is, what is happening here with the three of these and what should we expect out of them? Several decades ago, uh, an equivalent of NATO was set up, the CSTO uh, in Asia, uh, that effectively connects China with Russia and a range of other countries on the periphery, typically in, in Central and South Asia. And while it has not been uh, a major revolution, uh, sorry, uh, a major uh, player on the world stage at this time, there is this kind of tacit network that goes behind the scenes. Most notably, we see the axis between China, Russia, and Iran. And effectively, what it is, is pushing against the current world order that is led by the United States and has been as such since 1945, uh, but really much, much stronger with the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. And so Xi's quote was that we are seeing the, the creation of a new world order, the likes of which we have not seen in a hundred years. And he said that directly to Putin. And and there's an agreement between the two on on what that would look like. Uh, The good news is that the Chinese economy uh, from this vantage point is stalling pretty heavily. Uh, Xi is in the United States right now connecting with various governors and now with President Biden uh, as a means to try and build trade again. But it's his increasing authoritarianism in the country has deeply stalled the economy and uh, it has its own set of internal problems. That's good news for Taiwan because China is loath to probably do something when it's not doing well economically, although it could be a dangerous moment as well because Xi may look to divert the eyes of his countrymen from the internal problems by stirring up something in Taiwan. But as you noted, there's been a real shift in U.S. policy. Typically, we sell Taiwan a lot of military hardware, including F-16s. But notably, in the last several months, we've been providing Taiwan with overt aid, albeit very, very quietly, to arm itself very, very heavily. I've heard a number of accounts, for example, where Taiwan has... Uh, said that it will just burn its factories to the ground rather than letting China take them in the event of an invasion. But Taiwan is becoming much more like a porcupine. Uh, you know, you, you can kill the porcupine, but you're going to get stuck. Uh, you're going to get hit while doing so. They've launched their own um, uh, aquatic vessels, submarines. Uh, they have a lot of air power. And then a lot of weaponry uh, that specializes come in from the United States. And so uh, I think it's really trying to prevent China from doing something much wider because we've already seen Russia do something as well as Iran now, and it's led to a more tumultuous world. Well, you bring up uh, the fact that Russia has obviously, for now almost two years, been in wreaking havoc in uh, Ukraine. Now, we also see this changing other nations around that. Uh, Not only are NATO trying to prepare themselves to face a Russia threat, but individually, 
places like Hungary are trying to examine how they, as part of the EU, handle and integrate and work with or actually deal with Russia. What does this all mean? This is because you said it's really about creating this new world order. But what does this mean in the near term for how this can potentially draw either alliances or break up alliances in Europe? It's a very incisive question because when Russia interfered in our election in 2016, it shocked many Americans. We wondered, you know, how did this happen? You know, what what's kind of the backdrop for this? But Russia had been interfering in elections for at least a decade prior. Uh, massive cyber attacks, for example, on Estonia in 2007. Uh, interference in a range of different elections in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, with the attempt to put in some kind of pro-Russian puppet. And unfortunately, we've seen a number of countries lurch in that direction. Hungary's the most noteworthy under Prime Minister Orban, although he is sometimes wrongly targeted uh, by a, a more social, socialist establishment elsewhere in Europe. Um, you know, some of his policies are targeted because he's conservative. At the same time, he has also legitimately eroded aspects of Hungarians, uh, of the Hungarian democracy, um, major constitutional changes that were rushed in 2011, for example. And he has maintained a large-scale tie with uh, President Putin, who has sought to find allies, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, to undermine NATO and the EU, because in most instances, there's a lot of unanimity that's required to move things forward. And if you can get a vote against it, uh, it makes it more difficult. And so as an example, Sweden is trying to join NATO right now. It's had two centuries of neutrality that's been overturned because now Russia is really, really a threat to many. And um, it's Hungary and Turkey that have voted against Sweden or at least blocked its entrance into NATO. And so that's just one example but uh, slovakia and poland are also worrisome from that standpoint serbia is not a member of nato or the eu but it is strongly strongly pro-russia and uh, there's a long historical reasoning for that and so there are real tensions because russia under putin has long tried to divide nato the eu and this western world order that he is trying to overturn well, Dr. Drew, we do just have but a quick moment, and you know, I'd love to have you back on the program sometime, because in the midst of all of this, as you're talking about these various countries, one that's not getting mentioned but yet is lurking in the shadows quietly is Turkey, and we have to get an understanding of what Erdogan's goals are in all of this and where he may see opportunity, but we'll have to save that for another day. But one last question that we had a, a listener had called in and wanted us to ask this. If there were the potential for Israel to strike targets within Iran, what would the consequences of that be? That would be a very significant escalation. I think many of us would say, yes, Israel would probably be warranted to do so because uh, there are clear linkages in the funding. But at the same time, uh, it would be a major step. Iran would see it as a an act of war. Um, and uh, to go back to Al Jazeera, it would be portrayed that way throughout the wider Middle East. 
There are also dangers because at what point would then Iran have latitude to fire its own missiles at Israel? What are the extents of their uh, weapons programs? We know Iran does not formally have a nuclear weapon, but they've had a long-standing weapons program. And nuclear weapons can be a really delicate topic because, um, you know, Israel has never declared that it has nuclear weapons, although it's largely expected that it does. There was a foreign minister that once hinted at it. And so this would be a a very, very significant escalation. Israel has uh, fired a number of, fired at a number of targets in Syria, especially in Aleppo and Damascus at their international airports, because these are transit stops on the way to supporting either Hezbollah uh, or uh, Hamas. But while there's, there would be a lot that's warranted in, in doing something against Iran, I just, I don't see it because what Israel wants to do is keep this a more minimal conflict. It wants to root out Hamas. Hopefully Hezbollah and the Houthis will back off on their various places as well. Um, but it would be a very, very uh, dangerous and scary time should something formally open up between Israel and Iran. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. We can't forget there is a B team because Pakistan, Afghanistan, Bahrain, there are other groups, uh, Saudi Arabia, that would just fall in behind Hezbollah and Hamas, and they more than likely carry on what is existing happening. Uh, Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies over at Cedarville University, our thanks to you, our gratitude for joining us and helping to make sense of what is happening not only with Hamas and Israel, but also what is taking place between Russia and Ukraine, China and Taiwan, and of course, Iran versus the world. So thank you very much for being with us. God bless you, brother. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. Have a great day, everyone.